This episode is brought to you by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps businesses in complex markets win the future. Welcome back to Unicorny, the antidote to post-rationalized business books. This is the podcast for senior executives who want to find out how other businesses are building value through marketing. Last week on Unicorny, I was joined by Sultan of Strategy co-host Adam Greener from Digital Radish to interview the really incredible John Watton, Vice President of Marketing for VMware, and we talked about how to scale a B2B tech business. In the show, we dived into, well, this topic, as well as what you'd need to consider when building an integrated revenue generation engine. We also talk about the importance of place in marketing and what is happening in the talent market right now. I know I say this all the time, but it was a belter. It was an absolutely fantastic episode. So you absolutely have to go back and listen to it if you haven't done already. I like to think of businesses as organic beings, not machines. Business has always been a lot like a natural habitat, filled with different species of life, trying to coexist, trying to thrive. When the ecosystem is in spring, the fauna graze, the flowers bloom, and the birds chirp. But recently, things haven't been going so well for one of the birds. And that bird is marketing. Hmm, something's beginning to change the habitat. Once upon a time, when the CEO of an established global company wanted to drive growth, they went to their CMO. But there's a problem. Because the CMO isn't in the nest anymore. The CRO has been invading the marketing nest. So actually, you know what? Let's stop that metaphor now. Joining me on the podcast today as a co-host is the perspicacious marketing veteran, Shane Redding, owner of ThinkDirect, a B2B digital marketing consultancy. And we are going to be interviewing the extraordinary Nick Eads. Nick, like Shane, is a veteran of the marketing business. He has worked for globally recognized brands like BT and Dell, and he's now a board-level leader who's spent the last 25 years of his life working for companies who need to drive profitable growth and create sustainable value through world-class, systematic, go-to-market, or GTM, as it's known. Nick is also a brand ambassador for Propolis, and he's been CMO for more companies than I can count. So there really are not two better people than I would rather be in the room with if we're going to talk about the existential issue, which is the purpose of the CMO. So in our chat, Nick tracks how the CRO has invaded the CMO's space. We discuss why companies need to refocus on existing customers. We talk about the P's of marketing and why companies in growth mode die of indigestion, not starvation. There is so much to get stuck into, but I did enjoy the metaphor. Let's jump in. One day, not so long ago, today's guest was in conversation with Joel Harrison from B2B Marketing. Now, in the conversation, today's guest got so mad about the world of marketing. So Joel asked him, if you were going to do a session at Ignite, what would you do? And our guest said, well, I would wander on stage and say, you're all fired. And secretly, in your heart, you probably know why, wouldn't you? Today's guest is Nick Eads, hugely experienced Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Commercial Officer. Today we're going to talk about and explore the CRO cuckoo, the Chief Revenue Officer role that's invaded marketing space and is pushing it out of the nest and the boardroom. We're going to talk about what marketing needs to do to get taken more seriously by the business and the risk to business if we, actually, sorry, you, don't do something about the cuckoos soon. 
But before we bring Nick on, I'm very pleased to introduce Shane Redding, who's joining me on the show today. Why don't you start by introducing yourself, please? It's very kind, John. Thank you very much. I fell in, like many, as a career into B2B marketing and sales by accident, not planned, then found I loved it. I love the variety. I love the challenge, the intellectual rigour required. And my career has spanned uh, a wide range, both of PLC, enterprise, startup businesses. Today, I do three things. I consult a very large B2B brand around the world. I lecture and train. And then for a bit of fun, I've got fun on execs. Cool. Busy. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. That's fab. Nick Eads. Good morning, Nick. Morning, Tom. It's great to be here. Look, today we're going to talk around a topic that's really close to my heart, the deprecation of the role of marketing in business to business. But before we start, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your career, your current work, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'm tech and telecoms, hardware, software, born and bred. So started about 30 odd years ago with a company called IBM. Started there writing code, ended up in pre-sales, then in sales, uh, then on the team that launched the IBM ThinkPad and ran that as the brand manager for a number of years, working in the UK and Paris. Uh, I worked for Dell after that for five years, from 8 billion to 45 billion in revenue, pretty much straight line growth. And then spent some time in other tech companies, including BT, Avaya, Nortel, before moving to a great company called Scion, P-S-I-O-N, uh, part of the team that turned around that with uh, an amazing executive team, and we got acquired by Motorola. So I didn't spend the next and the last 10 years, and whereas where I am currently in the private equity venture capital world, doing acceleration, growth engineering, if you like, in a strange way, for early stage. I, I work with a couple right now that are sort of two-ish million ARR, all the way up to about 80 million ARR and beyond, again, with a couple of exits in there and near exits. <laughs> so I, I do understand the challenges that growing a company goes through. And, and and I spend most of my time working on an advisory and consultancy basis with those companies. So basically, listener, what you're hearing is we have a very, very highly qualified panel to discuss this issue and a big issue it is. So to research each unicorny episode, our producers arrange a 20 minute Zoom with guests where we ask what learnings they want to bring to the unicorny project. Now, our first call with Nick wasn't the usual call. Firstly, it lasted 45 minutes because we just had so much to say. It was just a great call. But also Nick didn't hold back in his assertion that marketing as a discipline is really on the rocks in B2B. To be specific, Nick believes the role of CMO, the very role of CMO is at risk or at least about to change materially because in most businesses that he's seeing, the role of CMO is, in his words, all about brand and a bit of website. So Shane, I wanted to explore that a little bit. Can you maybe expand on where you see the problem right now in marketing B2B? I think it's really timely to address this because I think there's three root causes to this challenge with B2B CMOs today. The primary root cause, I believe, is actually the legacy world that we live in, which is in B2B sales had the power. They had the power, they had the budget, they were seen as the revenue drivers and deliverers. So many CMOs have grown up in that world. That world is no more. Let's be really blunt. Actually, if any function is threatened, it's head of sales, not just marketing. Secondary, we live in a world where I believe there's complete over-indexing on growth, not only, but in the majority coming from net new customers. I am always shocked when I go in and ask a CMO, okay, let's have a look at your budget. How do you split it between new customers and existing? Ooh, we don't split our marketing budget that way. What? What do you mean? You don't know where the growth is coming from by those two very different groups? That's a huge issue. And then third reason, we're a product of our own 
legacy of our own experience. Many CMOs, B2B CMOs, came into their roles as brand and comps. They weren't coming in as Nick and I. Perhaps I started as a salesperson. Nick, mm. you know, you come yeah. in with a different background. You bring a different lens. And it's very hard, if you accelerate quite rapidly, to continue to learn new stuff. I believe lots of CMOs need to learn new skills. Nick, what's gone wrong? What's gone wrong with marketing? Well, I think Shane describes a good chunk of it. I think the other piece is I often, often look at the kind of CEO that you have. So I've had a couple of CEOs who've been ex-CFOs. So in certain circumstances, that's kind of okay because if you're doing a turnaround and you need to preserve value or you need to cut because the business is in trouble, you probably do need a CFO as your CEO. But in growth mode, then very often you end up with a CEO who's ex-sales in some capacity. It's really, really rare, brackets, I don't think I've ever seen it, where a CMO has moved to CEO in a B2B business. We are living in the legacy of our history. And the question is, are we comfortable with the challenge and, and the manoeuvre it would take in terms of skills to get CMOs to CEO? Because I think that would change quite a lot. But you, we need to have CMOs who are able to do that. So they need to be incredibly commercial, able to stand in for the CEO when the CEO is not in the room with the board or investors. Yeah, ultimately, it's a C-level role, right? Is CMO is a C-level role. So you have to be up here with just about everybody else. Know your functional discipline, but be a part of that C-suite. And I think we've got to understand what that means a bit more. Like if you come into marketing from sales or from, you know, product dev, you know, if you come in with a different perspective, do you think you then find it easier to be that C-level person? I think you possibly do, actually, yes. I think some of the best CMOs I've worked with have had a very different background. And they're also perhaps slightly or even a lot more willing to admit what they don't know because there's no fear. If you've come and you're qualified in a different area, one of the best CMOs that I had the pleasure of working with, Phil Gosney, you're getting a shout out here, most drilling as where he was previously, was a commercial lawyer. One of the best CMOs I have worked with because he challenged everything. He brought his legal brain to sort of saying, why? You know, why are we doing that? And, and that is just lacking sometimes. So yeah, I think it can be a real strength. The job that you have at the sea level is not know the answer, but it's to know the question. And I think you have to have an understanding of your market and your product to be able to ask the question. If you're the person answering the question in the room, you have hired very, very badly. A hires A, B hires C. You should hire your successor without any shame, without any remorse whatsoever, but build strong teams so that you, they push you up. You can't ask all the right questions. If you've got a team around you who aren't prepared, haven't got the skills to go deep and find you the answers, if you don't know the answer, go find it. I don't think you should be the person in the room who knows all the answers. You should know all the, all the questions. Wow. I'd second that. And I, I was always impressed. I used to do a lot of B2B strategic training and digital training with the uh, DMA IDM. When a CMO would turn up on a course on, for example, MarTech, you know, you think, well, that's really interesting. And that was exactly their point. I want to know the right questions to ask. I don't want the detail, Shane, mm. Mm. but what I do want, I want enough to be dangerous. I want to be able to ask my team the questions they should know the answers to. Let's shift a little bit because we talked about the CMO and maybe some of the shortfalls of the CMO, but suddenly there is a CRO in the room. Nick, what's the CRO all about? Where have they come from? Well, let's just disassemble it a little bit. Chief, easy, senior level, potentially the next CEO. Revenue. 
this person in this role owns all aspects of revenue. To Shane's point, it's, it's the net new as well as the retention and growth. 80% of your growth should come from your install base if your product portfolio, et cetera, is, is driving that way. You should design it to be that way. You should be able to survive on your retention base if, worst case, you don't win anything new. But they do own revenue. And the pressure that puts on marketing is a late-stage funnel and mid-stage funnel in particular. Late-stage because actually sales is forecasting that. That's within their gift. And by the way, they can beat the mm-hmm out of you with... We don't have enough leads. These leads are rubbish. What's going on? I can't make the quarter straight to CEO. I can't make the quarter because of them. All of a sudden, (laughs) you're on the back foot, right? And I have seen CMOs over the past year in portfolio companies in real trouble where the pressure on them to deliver more and higher quality is intense. And then they start spraying and praying. Then they start breaking everything that they've put in place that actually did work. So I see a lot of people get shifting from an ABM strategy where you might be doing one to few to one to many to try and hoover up more leads. Quantity over quality. It's quality all day long. The CRO puts an incredible upward pressure in the late stage funnel, right at the sort of pipeline cover stage, up the pipe. And that draws the CMO into their space. And if they're not delivering, that's where the friction turns to fire. There's a very quick transition from like long-term more strategic to short-term, tactical. Completely. And so are we saying then that CROs are applying the pressure and if CMOs aren't equipped to deal with that, they're making themselves vulnerable? Yes, because as I come back, one of the things that I'm a huge advocate of and I've failed to deliver on this yet is actually say part of the CMO function or part of the CMO's remit, part of the CMO's bonus should be on SQLs and closed one. The closed one should be part of the revenue. It should be part of your overall comp. But if you're not focused on closable leads, what kind of leads are you generating? We're not here for the stuff. We're here for the stuff that we can convert into revenue and profitable revenue at that. So yeah, that's where that's where the, the friction starts to come in. I think CROs have been brought in for exactly that point of failure is this obsession with leads. Mm. Volume, you mentioned it. There's three Vs in a good marketing funnel. There's volume, but it doesn't mean that more is always more. More can mean less. And velocity, speed. But the one we all forget, value. Because And why? Because I'm going to blame the MarTech here. I adore MarTech, used brilliantly. However, abuse of MarTech has led to the MQL, which has meant we have this scientific inverted commas, way that we can justify our leads. If you do not link your MQLs to your CRM, you are not doing your job as a CMO. And the number that I tell me, oh, it's too difficult. What do you mean? You can't tell me that lead, what value they have potentially to your business. You're more interested in the behavioural, the fact that they visited the website five times. Oh, thanks very much. That's a student researching their latest paper. What we're talking about here, of course, is marketing and marketing communications now being synonymous in most organisations, I think, because a lot of the marketers that I meet are obsessed about promotion. They don't get a look in when it comes to price or product or place. I was at a CEO forum about two months ago. There was a dinner. There were 20 CEOs around the table, all private equity backed, and we were talking about price. The sole sole subject of discussion was price. And I interrupted the speaker to say, look, can I run a straw poll? Would anyone who brings their senior marketer into the pricing discussion, please put their hands up. And out of the 20 at dinner, three put their hands up. Only three. It's that terrifying. Means, isn't it? Isn't it just? It means Absolutely that marketing, marketing as a function has no say in pricing strategy. Just bizarre. It is stunning. I ran a product PL, 12 quarter PL, so four quarters of history, 
two quarters of actual current year, two quarters of forecast in the, in the quarters ahead, so say we're doing this at half year, then four quarters going ahead, right? Full cost allocation all the way through to operating profit at P&L level. Any, I've done that on several times from anywhere between about 10 million to about a billion two in sort of product portfolio terms. A price is driven by the 3C rule, right? We've got four Ps, three Vs. I'm completely with Shane on volume, value, velocity. 3C rule, the costs, competitors and customers and what they'll let you charge for something. It's a fact. That is like page yeah. one, book one, 101 of the price thing. So if the CEOs of the other 17 were saying, oh, I wonder who does my pricing then. If it's the CFO, it's going to be cost up. If yeah. it's the salesperson, it'd be discount off. None of those, neither of those are right, right? Follow the competition. Well, assume they've got their cost stack the same as yours. It's never a price war. It's always a cost war. In SaaS, you're trying to drive 90, 95% gross margin and, and run this thing relatively hot on the roll of 40 and a whole bunch of other bits and pieces. But who sets the price? If it's sales, you're in real trouble. If the CRO is setting price, it's because they're thinking tactically about what can I win this quarter, next quarter, this year. And they might not be with the company next year. So why are they setting price? Because price as a function of enterprise value. I had a conversation this year about the proliferation of discounting and how discounting affects ARR. And you you subtract discounting from a price and you roll it up into ARR, then you multiply it by, say, five or ten times, which is what we're doing at the beginning of the year. The compound effect of 10% off versus Levy is in the millions. You could take 10K off a 100K deal and have a million come off your ARR, your, your EV. So it's like, hang on, CEOs. Stop with this pricing abdication, right? Yeah. The responsibility for pricing is directly connected to how you create value. The easiest thing to do, I mean, there's loads of pricing consultants out there and that will say that in this environment, the best thing you can do, and I'm doing it with lots of portfolio companies right now, is lifting price by between 10 and 30%. And most people, most customers just sucking it up. Right, it's easy. Do we have to grow that much next year? New through new logos, it'd be much harder to grow at thirty percent. But if you can lift your base by thirty percent, do it. The price is always a lot more elastic than people think. Value-based pricing is misunderstood. It's a so term true. that is banded round. The CMOs I admire, they get it. To mm-hmm. next point, they completely understand it. They understand where their brand is leading in a market. And let's face it, if you're a good brand marketer, that's the bit where you can bring huge knowledge and say, no, we're worth that. You know, we are worth that because we've invested in our brand. We're giving that security to the buyers. Let's face it, if we're going into an economy, I know you don't want me to do negative, Dom, that is, you know, (laughs) risk averse. You you know, risk averse, what are people going to buy? They are going to buy job security. That means they buy safety. What can you sell in your product and service range that provides that emotional comfort blanket? B2B marketers need to think about that as part of the value-based pricing. So true. I love this point uh, made by both Shane and Nick that, you know, it really captures the essence of why marketing has so much value to a business. Because marketing is all about long-term growth. It's a foundational piece of any business, and it's something on which businesses should be building. A big part of safeguarding your value as a business is to protect your price. Discounting, like it may help boost your volumes in the short term, but to pick back up on the avian metaphor that I love, you can end up leaping off a branch and engaging in a race to the bottom with your competitors. And when you hit the forest floor, boy, does it hurt. A marketer's real strength is not only to create value, but also to see value. And that's why you need to protect the position of your CMO at all costs. 
This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selvianderson.com. You're listening to Unicorny with Dom Hawes, powered by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps complex businesses win the future. Coming up, we discuss what marketers can do to fight the cuckoo in the nest, and Shane and Nick explain why marketers should try to learn more about sales. But first, Nick identifies why companies in growth die of indigestion, not starvation. Let's take a listen. So we identified, I think, what we think the problem is so far. Why do we think this is happening? It's a mixture of things. I think some of it started to emerge before the latest crisis with capital cost, right? Where growth was everything. And therefore you put a mostly a sales person in the CRO role so they could drive growth faster and hotter. And I think you add in pricing, you add in lack of commerciality on the marketing side, the fact that marketing in the main is focused on MQLs, then you have this hiatus between MQL and SQL, literally the gap in the funnel. People say, isn't that? It is there. That's the problem because when you're driving growth, you want that velocity of the right value coming through at pace so that you can literally hoover them up. In growth companies, we talk about the fact that in growth modes, companies don't die of starvation, they die of indigestion. And that is the inability to onboard clients at quality, right, so that they stay. I really like that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So that's great. You can generate, if, you've, if you're really into growth and it's really happening for you, but you can't deliver, your reputation tanks and everybody goes to the next one in the queue of peer group companies that do what you do at roughly the same price. So this has come about, I think, through that gap between MQL and SQL and because growth was everything. It may change. 23, 24, because things are a little bit more uncertain. And it's not growth at all costs. It's more like profit at all costs. So path to profitability is what we're talking about now. But again, if you only have a commercial CMO to talk about profit and profits related to price and price related to costs, you've still got the same problem. It's just moved around. So what leads to indigestion? Eating too much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, just, I don't know why that came straight this, this to my head. This matter is going to run. It? it is going to run. And, and because actually, and it's going to run because the buffet for marketeers is so huge. She's actually, we can make the, the job as big as we want. What we're not good is saying no. Cutting it back. Because, yeah, we could do employee internal marketing. Is it the most important thing that we do? We can do and should be doing, of course, we should because it's about the onboarding CX but actually there is a limit there's a limit to our capacity where do we focus and actually being brave enough confident enough in the numbers to say no or actually give me some more so I can do more is what we need to be doing but that's the problem it's to me the buffet we could graze on is yeah. Huge. Got to love a good food metaphor. <laughs> so uh, the other thing that strikes me is that if you are a CMO and you're having some like self-doubt or you've got the CRO breathing down your neck and you're having to shift from a longer term to a shorter term, where are you going to to find out what uh, everyone else is doing? Or how are you working out whether what you've got is normal? Because the people that have influence 
are generally partisan because they're trying to sell something. I mean, Shane, this is something you and I have talked about. LinkedIn, the LinkedIn Institute, for example, it sells LinkedIn. B2B media owners have always done a fantastic job at selling their media, you know, and we have to remember, and one of wise words again back in the day that I learned was don't build your house on rented land. You know, Facebook, LinkedIn, that is a rented property. It's not freehold. So, you know, as marketeers, you need to understand that. There's a lot more to it, but that I'm really passionate about. You can use these things brilliantly, but you can also be, if you like, missold. I'm not going to say those words apply to any one particular media owner, but we need to be really cautious. Yeah. Shane said it so politely, but they're only selling what they can sell. Anybody who knows me well knows that I have feelings for those folk. Because they're doing this all down, right? This is B2B marketing, and B2B marketing is just fundamentally business, right? Take the marketing out of it. This is business. So what exactly are you trying to do? You know, trying to win and keep customers. That's the basis of all business, right? If you're distracted by someone else saying, oh, you should do it this way, and you didn't interrogate it well enough to understand, they're a media company, they sell media. So you're buying media. How does that fit in your strategy? How does that reach your customer? So, for example, in my world right now in VCPE, We spend a lot of time inspecting the ideal customer profile. How do they buy? If you understand that, then you respond to that, not to some shiny advert on LinkedIn that says you should put more ads on LinkedIn because it's great. No, 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 no. If your client base doesn't use LinkedIn for very much apart from putting up their CV, and that's a great contest strategy, okay, fine. But actually, just focus on the ICP and build back. So I spent a lot of time over the summer going back into commercial due diligence, re-evaluating and tearing apart the ICP, rebuilding the ICP using data, and then we start with the ICP and go up. Because you can calibrate everything off the ICP. So, for example, volume, value, and velocity. Value. Let's take the value part then. If I've got a lot of big companies that are prepared to spend half a million pounds on a particular deal... I need 10 times more. I need one of those for every 10 that spend 50K. So I would start to understand how customers buy and ignore this frothy nonsense that's out there. It's just disappointing that people believe it. And there's, they're, they're not alone. There's more. <laughs> there's a couple more that I've stopped interacting with because they're driving a personal agenda. They're not good for you. It's like sweets, right? So what? It's a sugar hit. Get off it. So those conversations aren't starting with strategy, are they? No. That's what's driving us nuts, both you and I. If they were, then I know, for example, in the account-based marketing world at the moment, LinkedIn in deal-based marketing is fantastic. Mm -hmm. It is delivering amazing results. But it fits to your point that the customers are there. They're the ones you want to talk to. And you're talking to them in a really controlled, narrow way. What you shouldn't be doing is signing off 30 accounts for premium LinkedIn. Uh, When you realise that actually half your sales team's uh, profiles on LinkedIn, they still work for their old company. Exactly. You have to do a lot of cleaning up. I mean, look, LinkedIn, we know that it works sometimes. It doesn't work other times. You know, as you say, it depends on who the customer is. It's not just them either, is it? The data vendors are the same. You know, we all get pestered daily by the the thing you should be doing because everyone else is doing it, right? Just start with the basics. CRM, CMS, CDP, if you like it, and marketing automation over the top. Run it against your ICP and just learn. Where do you go? You talk to other marketers. 
And I think that actually Mm. this honesty and transparency, I am seeing a lot more sharing within the community. And I have to, you know, great shout out to B2B Marketing for setting up Propolis, community of B2B marketers, senior who can talk to these points. What's working? What's not working? Does intent data work for you? To your point. And the great thing is it's really shortcutting because we're sharing our live experiences. I am always passionate about benchmarking. Benchmarking is a fantastic way to understand where you are. You have to take care with it. I think Nick's an expert on understanding in his world, the tech world, what good looks like. And we need to share more of that. If you're in B2B marketing and you're not in Propolis, you're not in B2B marketing. There's a community there. And I think some of the things that, shout out to Dave Stevens did with the BMC over lockdown, that was my sort of therapy group, <laughs> frankly. There are people out there struggling with the same problems. I think that was when it was at its most intense. And you need those communities around you and build those communities. And I need to know who else has got the same problem, who's facing the same issues, who's got a CFO, who's now the CEO, who's got a salesperson, who's now the CEO. And, and how, do you, how do you live in that world? You need community now. And I think Propolis is, is a remarkable step forward. But we do need to get back to more face-to-face. We all miss it horribly. The new normal is the old normal. Get back around the table in, in sessions like this and bigger and beyond, but meet some p- folk out there and have a bit of a heart-to-heart and just how's it going for you? And be truthful, put it out there a little bit. We're all a bit more comfortable doing that. Well, I saw yesterday the BMC is coming back I know. in the new year. So very excited about that. Mm-mm. Okay, so we've looked at what, we've looked at why. Let's look at what marketers can actually do about it now. So what practical steps can people take who are listening to address the issue of the cuckoo in their department? Maybe they should make friends with a cuckoo. So here's a different thought, and this has only just come to me, in terms of if you want to build the best team possible, And you know the role that you can play in building brand, in really doing a fantastic job in building value. But actually, the numbers side is something that you need some help with. There's a couple of ways you'd go. You could go and recruit a CRO. Actually, that might be a way to go. There are other routes too. Nick, thoughts? I think that's um, my enemy's enemy is my friend. (laughs) If you want to go head to head with a CRO, you're probably going to lose. You have to come alongside. Look, it's all one team. It's the C-suite. You're all there for the same purpose. So potentially tactically and strategically, if you don't come alongside, you're in all kinds of trouble, right? So you have to understand that. I think you do need to spend more time with the CFO. I think CMOs should be more like CFOs uh, as the trusted partner to the CEO. It's professional, it's evidence-based, it's numerical, if you make it that way, and you should be. But to be a trusted advisor to the CEO means that you can run more as a peer around the CRO. You do not, I've always said marketing is not a service to sales, it's a partner. So this leadership team has to work as a team. So you've got to get together. I would also say if you're earlier to sort of mid-career with being a marketer, get a job in sales. It will scare you witless. You might do it for three to six months, but you'll be asking the following questions. Where are my leads? Why aren't these leads in the ICP? What do I say to the person on the phone on the email right now? Where are all the other tools and bits and pieces? How do I do this thing that salespeople do? And if you don't understand how sales works, there's no better way than being a salesperson for a while. And, you know, I did it for three years as new business sales with IBM. And by the way, IBM wouldn't let, anybody go on the road in those days without nine months of training, right? Nine months, including how to iron a shirt and what tie, <laughs> what tie 
goes with your hair color. Now, that was a challenge for me then, but it's all those things. How on earth do you walk another person's shoes? Walk in the other person's shoes. It's really simple. The answer's in the question. Do it, do it, do it, do it. You'll never regret it. You might, but you'll learn more there. And then the flip, as I say, is spend more time with the CFO, understand how the PL, what's next year and the year after. I would say, what's the difference between sales and marketing? And for me, the answer is time. Right. Marketing has got to be about a year to two years ahead, depending on your sales cycle. But ultimately, it's the same outcome. We're trying to win and keep customers. And if you spend time in salespeople, you understand how the short term works. But as a marketer, you should understand how strategy works and how you run strategy and operate and position the company so that it can deliver on that strategy. Because nobody else does positioning and brand and reputation. I worked for a brilliant CMO once, a lady called Lauren Flaherty. She was at Nortel and Computer Associates and Juniper and so on. Absolute dynamo. She said four things that marketing runs on. Reputation and brand, leads and revenue. These days I focus on reputation and revenue because it sweeps up most other things. And the confluence of that for me is positioning. It's like positioning now, positioning in the future, and then execute on that. But you've got to execute as a peer group in this C-level team. Such wise words. If you do one thing, make friends with your CFO. True. If you haven't had them train your marketing team on mm. how to read a P&L, book it in for next week. Great idea. And sit in the meeting too. <laughs> Because it might be a bit of a refresher course, you <laughs> <Remember>? know, <laughs> and see the questions that your marketing team ask every level, graduate entry all the way through to whoever. And you will know in your team who gets it. That is really important. Second piece of advice, promote the opportunity for your middle management team to go and get wider, diverse experience sales. Yes, but there's an alternative. I learned so much by going and sitting on voluntary boards. So mm. Federation of European Direct Marketing, age 30. We were responsible for the budget as volunteers. The whole budget, we were running it. It was a company board. You can get that experience. That teaches you so much so early. Do not leave it too late. Well, you know what? I, unfortunately, we're, we're sort of out of time today, but you've both been on fire. I can see Nicola, our producer's pen, is literally smoking from writing down all the, all the show notes. So thank you very much indeed, uh, Nick and Shane, for joining us in the Unicorn Studio. There was so much else that we talked about in the first uh, meeting. Um, once this one's gone, would love you, please, both to come back, because there's all sorts of other really fascinating areas that I want us to talk about. Thanks, Dom. A pleasure. Thank you. Wow, this has been a really big episode. So let's jump uh, right in and look at some of the key takeaways. Let's begin with something Nick said like early in the show. We know the chief revenue officer owns all things revenue-based. And as Nick pointed out, they can put pressure on the mid and late stage funnel. When there isn't enough revenue forecasted in the quarter, when there's an issue with leads, they go to the CEO. But as Nick pointed out, at the end, marketing isn't a function designed to help you in that part of the funnel. The marketing you do now is for a year or two years time, not necessarily right now. So the cuckoo might be pecking at the wrong bird. But as Shane and Nick alluded to at the end of the show, your business is an ecosystem that functions better in synchronicity. So the chief revenue officer and the chief marketing officer probably actually need to be collaborating. That also means marketers would benefit hugely from having a greater understanding of sales as well. 
marketing would benefit the business more if it had a greater understanding of those different functions. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And when all these different roles and functions come together, respect each other, respect each other's space, and value each other within an organization, that is when your business is going to thrive. And when that happens, well, it's spring all year round. Next week on Unicorny, we have an amazing treat for you. I'm joined in the studio by Ian Henderson from the amazing advertising and creative agency AML Group. And we are speaking to royalty within marketing, the amazing Mark Evans, who at the time uh, was at Direct Line. And he had the most extraordinary tenure there as the managing director of marketing for Direct Line. He oversaw some of the most iconic campaigns uh, that, uh, well, any fan of advertising uh, will have seen. And we get stuck into the weeds with him on how and why he stopped advertising one of the most iconic campaigns in mid-flow to rejig it. And I tell you what, it's a fantastic listen. Um, you, you may well have heard uh, Mark speak before. Um, he's been a guest on pretty much any serious marketing podcast. We loved spending time with him. So please do tune in then. Thank you for listening to today's show. Together, we're building a body of reference to make marketing work better for business. Now, it takes us eight to 10 hours to produce each and every episode of Unicorny. Please take the time to share, rate, and review us. Help us get found and help yourself at the same time because Unicorny is far more than a podcast. It's a community of leading marketing minds and pretty soon we're going to be running events too. If you're interested in joining our community, please get in touch by following the Unicorny page on LinkedIn or connecting to me on LinkedIn. My name is Dom Hawes, H-A-W-E-S. You've been listening to Unicorny with me, Dom Hawes, powered by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps complex businesses win the future. Unicorny is conceived and produced by Selby Anderson with creative support from One Fine Play. Nicola Fairley is the executive producer. Connor Foley is the series producer. Kazra Feruzia is the superb audio engineer and editor and the episode is recorded at terminalstudios.co.uk thank you for listening and we will see you in the next one this episode is sponsored by selby anderson the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com.